This episode of The Outside Podcast is brought to you by L.L. Bean, reminding you to go outside. And not necessarily on some backcountry trek that takes five months to plan. There are a lot of adventures to be had, right in your own backyard, if you know where to look. <laughs> and what do you do in Grandma's backyard? Um, play. This is my nephew, Steen, a discerning outdoorsman for a four-year-old, because my family is lucky enough to have this massive backyard at my parents' house. There's a sequoia tree, chickens, a treehouse, and apparently hungry vegetarian monsters. What was your gift for the monsters? Goody salad. Dirty salad for the monsters? Mm-hmm. Because monsters like it. As near as anyone can tell, dirty salad means compost. This is the first we're hearing of the monsters. And we play flying with a dragon. What do you do when you fly with the dragon? Um, take my dragon skin. Your dragon skin? Mm-hmm. And, and what do you do with it? Fly. What you may not know is that L.L. Bean designs their clothes with monster hunts and dragon flights in mind. Flannel and merino wool cut the chill when your monster heads to the mountains. And their bean boots protect your feet. Because you never know where a dragon's going to land. Gear up for your backyard expedition at LLBean.com. L.L. Bean. Be an outsider. From Outside Magazine and PRX, these are Dispatches. Stories from our writers in the field. So recently, Alex Ward, one of the regular contributors to our show, and my neighbor, came over to discuss a burning question. Yeah, do you think chess is a sport or a game? A game. Instant instant answer. Game. Instant answer. Why? Um, because you play it at a on a table. Um, it's there's little pieces. Uh, you move them around a you know arbitrary board. Uh-huh. Um, much like like it might, you might call it uh, one of the original board games. That's Maybe my, the board game. Maybe yeah. In <laughs> in terms of. The, the ultimate expression of a game. Yeah. Right. What was really bugging Alex, though, was a much bigger question. The difference between a game and a sport. Alex had recently read about research on elite chess players and what they go through physically during competitions. As it turns out, playing serious chess is a lot like playing a serious sport. If you're measuring the heart rate of a high-level chess player in a tournament, they're basically burning calories on par with, say, Roger Federer in a tennis match. It's pretty close. Okay. Uh, and in fact, one grandmaster in two hours at a chess match had burned the same amount that Roger Federer did at Wimbledon okay. you know, during a game. Which really got me thinking, if a game like chess takes that much endurance and stamina to play at the highest level, why don't we consider it a sport? It's uh-huh. one-on-one, just like tennis. Uh, the winner is going to win considerable prizes, glory, all sorts of the same things you'd associate with sports. And there's a physical aspect to it. It takes a lot. You have to be in shape to play. Maybe we don't call it a sport because you play it completely stationary? Right. Anyway, all of this set me down this path because I just I started thinking, all right, well, then what really is what's the difference between a game and a sport? I've talked to a lot of people. A lot of people have strong feelings about it. They have different answers for this. Um, and I really didn't even quite know where to start. Um, but I, I thought, you know what? I, I, no one's going to answer this question. I have to find out a definitive difference between the game and a sport. So we sent him off to find out. Here's Alex. 
Something I noticed is that if you talk to sports people, they frame sports as the thing that matters a little more. And if you talk to games people, it's clear they prefer games. Based on who's answering, one of the two tends to be slightly dismissed. Now, I love both games and sports dearly. I think they're both important for a healthy society. Much like physical play is important to someone's well-being. So for me, figuring out how and why we define them matters. Anyway, lucky for me, writer Mimi Montgomery has been reporting a story for Outside Online about something that finds itself squarely in the middle of this debate. So tell me about the story you've been working on. Yeah, so I have been working on a piece for Outside about the growing trend of adult recess leagues um, across the country. (sighs) Recess. What better place is there to figure this out? After all, I'd argue that the playground is ground zero for where we start dividing games and sports. Think back to grade school. When those school doors fly open after lunch, some kids rush for the kickball field. Others head for the four-square court or hopscotch. And other kids are just content to play with their imaginations, making stuff up as they go along. But this is not about kids. Unlike me, they have no need for academic definitions of games. This is about how and why grown-ups need to play. It's sort of like more of like a fun way for people to get together after work and blow off steam and play uh, kickball or dodgeball or, um, you know, like glow in the dark, um, like volleyball and all these kinds of different things. To be clear, when we say recess leagues, we're not talking about groups of adults rushing outside to play tetherball on their lunch break. We're talking organized, often competitive rec leagues with team names, schedules and coordinated clothing. They're similar to recreational soccer or softball leagues, except they involve activities that most folks would classify as a game versus a sport. And they tend to be uh, run by sort of like bigger for-profit groups as opposed to, you know, just doing something through like the Parks and Rec League or something that folks used to sort of um, look to for these kinds of activities. Maybe you've seen or even played in a league like this where you live. They run the gamut of activities from kickball to flag football to shuffleboard and cornhole leagues. Some leagues are competitive, others are just for fun. And they play in places like public parks, school gyms, and pubs. Recently, Mimi went to an event in Washington, D.C., where she's based. Yes, I went to a dodgeball match um, last week um, on a Thursday night after work. And people were really into it. It, w- it was a big deal. Um, it was indoors, like at a community center here in the city. The group putting on the event is DC Frey, a huge organization with multiple sport offerings. There's actually Frey leagues in other cities across the country, each with their own unique communities and games. Denver, New Orleans, Jacksonville. And Frey isn't the only outfit doing this. Mimi estimates that just in the DC area alone, there's at least 10 different companies offering adult recess games. In the last decade or so, there's been a huge uptick in these leagues nationwide. The Sport and Social Industry Association, which is a trade organization that connects recess leagues to share knowledge, gear, sponsorships, stuff like that. They estimate the number of active players to be around 1.6 million people. And they're only growing in popularity. People are, you know, getting kind of competitive and not too competitive. And they had like referees there. And it was just like such a like production. I was like pretty surprised that... um, you know, there was 
there was so much going on when it came to these activities. And actually, funnily enough, outside of the building, um, another league was hosting a kickball event. So there was just like adults playing everywhere. Adults playing everywhere. To some, this might seem like the worst stereotypes of millennials on full display. But I don't think it's fixed to any generation. Adults have been playing things together for a long time. Think about how long something like bowling leagues or pool halls have been around. The organized playground games we're playing today are just an evolution of that. Your grandpa might have like had a golf league that he hung out at, or like your grandma might have like gone and played bridge like once a week with her with her friends. So like, what is it that is making this different? You know, as far as us focusing on sort of like you said, these playground games. You know, any opportunity for someone to get together and meet new people, whether it's a you know ping pong or kickball or shuffleboard. I mean, anytime, you know, I think it's when you're having fun and keeping score. That's Colleen Finn. She's the founder of Recess Time Sports in Portland, Oregon. They got started around 2003 as a pickup dodgeball league. Back then, all the recruiting was done in person, in bars, or with community posts on Craigslist. But lucky for her, this was around the time a certain movie came out that helped propel her league into a business. That would be Dodgeball, the 2004 comedy starring Ben Stiller and Vince Vaughn. A movie that's funny because of how seriously grown-ups were taking Dodgeball. When the movie came out, some news outlets wanted to talk to people who were running actual Dodgeball leagues. Because of that, we were interviewed by, you know, the AP and various things, and it just blew up. And The thing is, while the movie used Dodgeball to parody sports movies, it also reminded a large audience just how fun it was to play dodgeball. The most feedback I get is how happy it makes people feel to play these games again. And how much people are like, oh, that sounds so fun. I really want to do that. That sounds really fun. I really want to play. I attended some kickball games with Colleen on a cold, rainy Sunday in Portland. Initially, I thought the weather would have scared some people away, but I was wrong. The rain seemed to amplify everything. The mud, the sliding, the music bumping. This was a party. There were three games going on in the park fields. One was a fast-pitch competitive game. The other two were slow-pitch, more casual games. It was right here in front of me. Some people are playing a sport, and others are playing a game. But no matter the intent, one thing was abundantly clear. People are committed to kickball. Especially the team over there, wearing onesies. You know, one team is called the onesies, and they're one of the best teams in the league, and they all play with onesies on. So I was going to ask. I've seen three different people wearing onesie costumes. <laughs> yeah. What's up with that? Yeah, it's called the, it's a, the team called the onesies kick wonders. And they just so wear... They wear onesies, well. and they're, they're a very good team. They've yet to uh, earn their star. So we, uh, if you win a championship, you can see that, that guy over there. He's got two stars on his shoulder. That's because his team, Keep It Tight, has won the championship twice. So their jerseys every season will have stars for however many stars that they've won. Okay, shortstop? Uh, yeah. Onesies. Gold stars. Kickball. Jeez. Maybe my generation is stuck in adolescence. That kind of brings up something of how maybe older people view this. Of like, this is childish. Right, that yeah. This is delayed adolescence. Like, what's your, what's your take on that? Um... You know, I think that, I, I don't know, I mean, I've had various um, issues. I have to take this. I'm sorry. There's oh, no a problem, problem on another field. Go ahead. As if on cue, right when I want to talk about how our generation is soft, Colleen gets a call. 
someone on another kickball field has dislocated their shoulder making a play. And she tells me that's far from the worst injury she's seen. Either mine, which was my, I mean, I broke my femur and blew out my knee. That was pretty... In dodgeball? In dodgeball. Yeah, I jumped into the splits. It came down. There was a ball that trailed. And so my leg basically bent sideways and my femur came down and hit my tibia. And my femur won or lost that battle. Um, I mean, you know, it's like you do... There's lots of... I mean, if you meet Angie, she's over there. She's on the onesie. She's... Angie! Angie! Angie comes running over. One of her fingers is permanently bent at a slight angle from a dodgeball injury. That one. I used to go straight up. (laughs) Um, and then I broke my ankle playing kickball. So, yeah, yeah not too terrible. Yeah, I mean, ACLs, ankles, shoulders. Oh, man, the ankle break that, that went the wrong way. Oh, that, I forgot about that yeah, one. That, that was one gnarly. Was I was, was repping that game. Or? Let's just say where your foot should be, his ankle was basically on the front part of where your foot is supposed to be, and his foot was the other way, and his leg was straight. So, like... He wanted to, like, walk. He was like, yeah, just bring the car up, and I'll just hop over. I was like, "We, I think we need to call an ambulance. This is a big deal. But he, and he healed, and it's fine. Yeah, I mean, everybody's fine now. <laughs> so, cold, rainy weather, and occasionally paramedics. Not the best selling points. But that stuff doesn't really seem to matter. How would you explain over the last, I don't know, 10 years of, of just the rise in the popularity of these leagues? I think that there's something about the um, the organic g- growth of friendship circles that come with it. You know, if like, you know, one person talking to another person of like, do you want to come play on my kickball team? And then that turns into like another team and another team. And then you're friends with another team. And yeah, I mean, that's the thing is, you know, why, why do people kind of do anything? Well, they want to have fun. And a lot of times social interaction and meeting people. That's, you know, that's the real beauty that I find in recess time is the connecting people. So many people are, I was thinking this the other day, like, I literally do not have to ever leave my house if I don't want to, right? Like, I could, you can get a job and work online. Um, you can use Postmates or Caviar or whatever. Like, like pretty much everything, you can not really have to do anything to do and interact with people online. And this is just sort of proof of almost like, like an analog human interaction. <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, it just is good old-fashioned people hanging out and having a good time. Colleen's right. Staying indoors and not interacting face-to-face is getting much easier as time goes on. We're seeing quick changes in how we work, how we make friends, how we date, and how we play. But to understand why some people play kickball and dodgeball as a sport, and others play it as a game, we need to understand why humans play at all. More on that after the break. So earlier, we heard about the kinds of adventures you can have without leaving your backyard. But after the adventure, that's family time by the fire. And in the fall, there's nothing more comfortable than L.L. Bean's cotton flannel. Do you want to know the secret to making the best flannel shirts? Use the best flannel. L.L. Bean's scotch plaid flannel is made with the softest, long-lasting cotton that keeps getting better the more you wear it. Find out more and pick your perfect flannel at llbean.com and be an outsider. So let's pick back up with Mimi, who started looking behind the curtain of our need to connect with others. It turns out there's been quite a bit of research on humans and our propensity for play. Part of what we need to think about is is the distinction between what you might call, on one hand, play, and what you would refer to, on the other hand, as playfulness. That's Gary Chick, a professor emeritus at Penn State University. His background is in recreation management and anthropology, 
and he started studying play theory back in the mid-70s as part of an anthropological study. I sat in on his conversation with Mimi. Why do adult humans play at all? That question is interesting because if we think about it uh, and think about all the data and information about play that we have available to us, what we discover is that play is actually very rare uh, in the animal world. Play among adult animals is much more rare than it is among juvenile animals. Any play that adults engage in is usually done in concert with juveniles. Young animals will almost always be the ones initiating play, and adults will indulge them as needed. But between adult animals, play doesn't really happen that much, except in animals that humans have bred and domesticated. We have a a yellow lab downstairs, and she's five years old, and she's playful as the dickens, and she has floppy down ears, and uh, like like most dogs do, have has a shorter muzzle than wolves. Um, she wags her tail. She brings a ball to me. Obviously, she wants to engage in play and so forth. So there are both morphological or physiological characteristics that distinguish her from wolves and behavioral characteristics. And as it turns out, humans are the same. We have physical characteristics that differentiate us from um, chimpanzees, for example. We have uh, much reduced brow ridges, our jaws are reduced, and we tend to be playful into adulthood. And we play not only with children, but we play among ourselves. So one might argue, and I think that, that it's become recently argued by, by several researchers, that in fact we have bred ourselves to be playful as adults. Gary asked us a simple question during the interview. Do you like playful people or not playful people? We both said playful. And then he asked, if we were to choose a life partner, would you rather they be playful or not? Well, playful, of course. Okay. This is called assortative mating. And and we've done some research, we meaning me and a, a couple of my colleagues, on whether or not people who at least claim to be playful themselves also indicate that they would prefer to have mates who are playful. What appears to be the case is that playfulness is a desirable characteristic in potential mates. This came up a lot between everyone we talked to for this story, the romance side of things. I mean, playing games with other people is a great way to make friends, sure. But an even greater appeal? The chance to meet a potential partner. Folks, like, want to try to date people, like, outside of Bumble (laughs) or find, like, a significant other outside of um, the Internet, which, I mean, that sounds, like, great to me. It makes sense. Like, you, you know, ostensibly want to be with someone who shares the same interests as you do and is, like, playful and fun. So, like, what better way to find someone than, like, a league that is dedicated to adults having fun. Okay, one small problem here. If we've gradually bred ourselves to be more and more playful, then everyone would just play everything for fun, right? We'd all be rolling around in the grass looking for a mate. But sadly, that's not the case. Some people aren't here to play games. They're here to play sports and to win. So what about them? You know, ping pong at noon is not for everybody. Uh, We have our own individual uh, kind of play profiles that work for us. Stuart Brown is the founder of the National Institute for Play. He's a trained physician and a former research professor of psychiatry. He actually classifies um, a lack of play as like a public health issue, which was something that I hadn't necessarily considered before. So when you look at the natural history of play, both in in animals in a laboratory who are being studied for their play behavior or 
as best one can uh, look at the educational establishment and uh, one sees that increasing mastery and a sense of accomplishment are usually associated with play behavior so it's not something that is frivolous or just something you do when you haven't got anything better to do or as an escapist it it, it really has its own process and its own uh, profiles for those not inclined to pointless play those that like to train hard and accomplish and take a sport seriously they're actually still engaging in a very important type of play one that provides a sense of self and a sense of purpose Stewart first got interested in researching play after a string of notable crimes in the late 1960s. He was asked to see if he could find some commonalities between violent criminals. I had a little more specific look at particularly young murderers and felony drunken drivers and their histories. And lo and behold, we found that in those populations, they were uh, non-players as compared to a comparison compare groups. Well, I think if you look at play deprivation in a parallel way to sleep deprivation, although it's not as quantitatively measurable, there are evidences that severe play deprivation is associated with a smoldering depression, ideologic rigidity, a lack of optimism, a uh, feeling that what am I putting one foot in front of the other today for, what, what's the purpose of it all? that part of the necessity for play is to maintain a positive outlook in a, in a chaotic and difficult world. I think play itself provides a, an adaptive means to where we have tolerance and compassion and empathy for other individuals. So, you know, that's, that's why at this, this age I'm having a good time uh, hanging in there with the uh, play theory and play practice. If you consider some of the problems we face in our increasingly digital culture, political polarization, cyberbullying, and just plain loneliness, adult rec leagues are a force for good. For lots of people, they're a much-needed social outlet, whether it's for the fun and games or for the serious sport. You're always going to have those like three people that are really competitive and are really getting into it. And there definitely were like a couple folks who were like doing back bends and sort of like matrix moves to like get out of the way of the ball. And they were just like really into it. But like the overall mood was that like no matter who wins at the end of this day, like it was just like really fun. And we're going to go like drink some beers and like hang out. Okay, so I told myself I'd come out on the other side of this story with a clear-cut answer for the definitive difference between a game and a sport. And after learning about recess leagues and the roots of why people play, I think I've got one. So here goes. I think both sports and games are simply modes of physical play. The key difference comes down to process versus goal. A sport is primarily focused on competing to win the goal. The game is focused on competing as a source of play, the process. If you're way into a sport, you might value the win over everything else. And if you'd rather play a game just for the sake of fun, you value the experience. Now, obviously, people are more complex than this, and we can like doing both things. I mean, play is a spectrum. It's not an either-or. But at the end of the day, I think it sheds light on a deeply human desire. We need both types of people in the world. 
On one hand, there's people focused on getting us from point A to point B, achieving the goal. On the other hand, are people that are focused on making the journey worth our while in the first place. And both kinds of people are valuable, and we all play both roles from time to time. So it shouldn't be a surprise that adult recess leagues are a growing trend. Maybe you want to train hard and win the league championship. Or maybe you're just hoping to make friends or meet someone you might marry. Maybe both. Either way, there's a spot on the team for you. And a onesie if you want. That was Alex Ward. This episode was produced by Alex and edited by Michael Roberts. You can read Mimi Montgomery's story about adult recess at OutsideOnline.com. This episode was brought to you by L.L. Bean, reminding you to be an outsider. The Outside Podcast is a production of Outside Integrated Media and distributed by PRX. We'll be back next week.